You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. Good Father, we just thank you for sending your good son to be with us. Um, You have cleaned us up out of the muck and the mire, and we are just so honored that you have chosen us uh, to be your child. So, Lord, I ask today that you hide me behind the cross so we can point to your child, Christ Jesus. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, so we're going to do a quick recap before we get to Rahab. I'm so glad I said that correctly. Um, Really quickly, the world's oldest business is redemption. Um, We have seen that. Um, It is family-owned, family-made, and family-run. And we have seen from the beginning that God is always taking something in the dark and making something into light about it. And he's always been hovering there, just waiting. Um, Number two, we've learned since Genesis 3, the fall, that God has declared war against the flesh, the world, and the devil. He is very much like the original Lehman Nielsen and Taken, where he has a very specific set of skills, and he is going to do whatever he takes to get his beloved daughter back. So today should be no surprise that the book of Joshua is going to open with war. And it should also be no surprise to y'all that the book of Matthew opens in war as well. We see Matthew's role calling in the lineage of Christ, um, setting the stage up for this child to fulfill every single ordained promise since the beginning of the world. And he is fulfilling promises that no man could do on his own, promises that um, are being set up before Jesus even enters the scene. Um, is that okay? <laughs> Chaos already. Um, but so we see the, this babe, the one that's fulfilling all these things in the book of Matthew in the very beginning. We see that this fully man, fully God, born covered in blood, will die covered in his own blood so that you can be covered in his. And if you don't think that the troth to the cross is a direct assault on the enemy and enemy territory, then we really do have a lot of ground to cover today. So I'm going to get to it. Um, but also, luckily for y'all, is that history does repeat itself. And I don't think that's because we're dumb. We are very dumb, though. But God is very patient, and he is the God of second chances. And that's something else that we're going to learn about him time and time again. And then, y'all, I told y'all I had a lot of coffee. Let me take a breath. Um, <laughs> y'all don't need any of that. Um, I need water. No, Christ is that. Um, but everything in the Bible we're going to learn is specifically put in there. And because it's in there, we know that God wants us to know it about him. I know that seems very simple, but that is a very important thing to understand. So when we're reading through those boring genealogies, God's saying, pay attention, pay attention, pay attention. Um, yeah, I, I like thinking about it. If you think that manna is the only breadcrumbs that God's left us to get back to him, you're hugely mistaken because the Bible is truly like such a feast. Um, so that's what we're going to get to eventually. Um, so again, pay attention to what God wants you to know about him. And um, this is kind of cool. This is where I'm going to like tangent off a second. Uh, Joshua is the beginning of the 12 historical books. So it's really fun to know that Joshua opens being in direct conversation with God. Like God is communicating back and forth of this is what you're going to do. This is how you do it. But by the time you get to the book of Esther, there is zero mention of God. That's the final book of the historicals. And it's to the untrained 
ear, you're like, I don't hear him. I don't see him. But to the trained eye, which is what y'all are getting reading the historical books, you'll realize that God's been running the show the whole time, whether you want to believe it or not or give him credit. So next time someone's telling you a story, just start thinking about how God is actually weaving himself in and out of it. Um, Number four, the world's oldest profession is prostitution. And we have learned that from Sarah. We've learned that from Leah. We've learned that from Tamar. And today we're going to learn that about Rahab the prostitute. Um, And a problem with prostitution is if you keep seeing it, you're going to slowly start to tolerate it. And tolerate is going to be a big word that we're going to come back to later on. Because the more sin you see, the more you seem to say it's not so bad. And then finally, before we finally get started, I want you to know that God wants you to know him. And God wants you to meet him. And God wants you to decide to follow him. And you get to do that every single day. It's kind of like the movie where it's like, where are we going? We don't need roads. But um, no highways, just Yahweh's. So um, (laughs) for, okay, I'm just like going all over the place. Okay, so for this class with the book of Joshua, he wants you to meet him at the Jordan, okay? He wants you to meet him exactly where he promised he would take you. And he wants you to decide to keep following him. And he's not just going to say, all right, this has been great, but I've got to go. I've taken you exactly where you need to, Um, as St. Paul says, by no means. Uh, God has just led the Israelites over the river and through the woods for the past 40 years, and not to mention the past 400 years where he's leading Abraham and his children all the way through. He's led them out of bondage, he's led them out of slavery, and he's brought them into this new land of milk and honey. Remember how I said that history repeats itself? This will not be the first time that the Israelites saw this promised land, and this will not be the first time that a leader has sent spies out to spy out that land. That happened in Numbers 13, and it ended terribly. Uh, Moses sent out Joshua to go check it out. So what's going on? Um, We are going to see in the book of Joshua that God's first act of overflowing grace is his first act of abundance is grace. It's not just milk and honey. It is going to be just how much he focuses on getting his children. And I like, this sounds so silly, but I like to think of God as like one of those moms with suburbans. And because she's got like so much room and seatbelts, she's just taken everyone in. And that's God right now. He's got three million of his Israelite children parked at the Jordan. And he's like, I can take another. I can take another. And if I'm honest with y'all, um, there are times where I'll pray like, come on, Lord Jesus, just come on back. And um, this is going to make me cry thinking about it. But like God and his word and um, and his Holy Spirit is saying, I still have some children out there. You know, like that's really special to think that um, God's like, I'm not going to bed until you come home. I'm not leaving without you. And that's just the kind of God we have today. So we're going to look at one of those children that God is willing to go in to a doomed city and get. And this is Rahab. And this Rahab, this child of God, is going to lead us to the child of God that we meet in the book of Matthew. So, Joshua. Joshua opens with God wanting us to stand in two places. He wants us to stand at the Jordan, where he's brought us to, looking up at the world's tallest walls. And in Joshua 2, where our story is going to begin, he wants us standing inside the world's tallest walls, looking down. And um, God is asking us to trust him again. At the same time as you're asking, can this God surely do it again? So Rahab enters the chat. 
We will see her repent when she lies to the king. We're going to see her confess when she hides the spies. And we're going to see her saved when she gathers up under this singular scarlet cord. Um, Joshua 2 opens with two spies sneaking in the city to gather intel. And they come into the house of the prostitute Rahab. In the Canaanite tradition, prostitution was it was considered a second-class profession, but it was very much tolerated. Um, it was out in the open. And I'd like to argue that Rahab was so good at being a prostitute that she and has done it for so long that she's really built herself up into a little empire. Um, she's really made the most out of what she's given, and she's pretty much as at the height of where she could ever go in this world. And this is as good as it's going to get, and she's made it. But... Um, in researching this, there are some translations and some commentators that already try to whitewash her sin. They try to call her Rahab the innkeeper. And if you do that, <laughs> you are going to whitewash your own sin. Um, this, is, this is a silly story, but let me take a breath. Um, my daughter was having a meltdown because she was denied a second ice cream breakfast. And it's a second one because she's already had her first one. And I, like, pull out my phone to take a picture of her to send to my husband to say, like, look what your daughter's doing. And I go to the picture of her, and the camera is actually pointing back at me. <laughs> and, y'all, I looked like Dog the Bounty Hunter. My hair is, like, out like this. My face is so swollen because I can't seem to drink water without liquid IV. Like, my double chins have double chins. I'm just, like, fully aware of what I look like, and I, I just have to, like, put the phone down. And that's what I want you to look at Rahab today, because if you only see her as the prostitute, you're missing the fact that you are one as well, okay? And if you don't think you're an adulterer, you have not read the Sermon on the Mount, okay? Um, and I'm going to go out on a limb and think, you probably don't think of yourself as a prostitute. That's okay. But um, it's just because you're not honest, and you're just not bold enough to admit what your sin is. Um, Scripture is constantly telling us that we are a faithless, adultering child, but we're also like constantly going up on top of a hill and playing the whore. And this is Jeremiah 3. This is not my own words. Um, this is what God thinks of your little sin. That little sin you think that no one's seeing that you do in the dark. You think that's not going to hurt anyone. These little sins you think that don't have a body, when you don't repent of them, they take over your body. And Rahab, Rahab knows that. She has lived in her sin. She has been called out in her sin because she is Rahab the prostitute that owns an inn because she's built this little empire. So just imagine if that one little sin gets you called that. Imagine all the sins you've accrued your whole life and that you're just sitting in. And I want you to understand that when Christ calls you out of this, what he is doing, when he covers you in his blood and in his sacrifice, he is saying, Ali oxen free, get out of jail and come on with me because destruction's coming. Like God is not messing around. He is here to get you back. But I promise I'm not talking about wars and whores because it's scandalous. I am talking about these things because God's grace is so scandalous. It is so incredible and it is absolutely what you need. And if you know just how far God is willing to go to get you and just how much he's willing to forgive you, why not just confess it all? Why not? As my favorite Bethany Frankel says, mention it all. Mention it all. 
But if you do want to be scandalized, you can read Ezekiel 16. Traditionally, men under the age of 30 were not allowed to read it. So go home tonight and read that one. So <laughs> it's good. <laughs> I won't read Songs of Solomon, but I'll read Ezekiel 16. Um, so Rahab the prostitute, she owns an inn, and she has been sent word by the king of Jericho that says, I know the spies have entered your house. Give them to me. And this is kind of like, come out with your hands up. And then Rahab does exactly that, but she does so with guns blaring. And she's going to let us know that kings do not dictate the terms of living. God does. Okay. And this is also a chance where Rahab, the prostitute, could have a chance to move up in society. She has absolutely necessary war intel, and she chooses to do something else. And we learn another thing about Rahab, the prostitute, that she's a woman of action, and she's also a liar. Um, but the woman had taken the two men and hidden them, and she says to him, Yes, they were here, but I do not know who they are, and at dusk they left. If you leave now, you should be able to overcome them. And while it does appear like Scooby-Doo mischief, where they're like, they went that way, they went that way, what she's actually doing is, she, if there's a deeper undercurrent in it, is she's showing you where her loyalties and her salvation lies. And that's with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And um, But she has to do it in a way that's in keeping with who she is and where she is. I also see this as a faithful act of repentance. She is admitting that God is God and that she is not and that she needs to switch teams. That's what repentance is. Um, and she is in such despair that she does this without even talking to the spies about it. She does it just, she faithfully acts and then later follows. And again, this is because Rahab knows her sin. This is it. She is so intimately acquainted with her sin that she knows that nothing short of the God of heaven coming into Jericho, coming into the inn, coming into her life, and coming into her heart can save her. And I want to ask y'all, <laughs> children of God, um, what walls are you hiding behind? I want you to think about that. What walls are protecting you? And um, what structures have you built in your life so that you don't need God and that you don't need to switch teams? So let's hear her confession because it's super good. <laughs> Gives me chills. Um, Rahab says, I know that the Lord has given you the land and that fear of you has fallen upon us and that all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, to Shihon and Og, whom you devoted to destruction. And as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted, and there is no spirit left in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, he is the God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that I, by the Lord, that as I have dealt kindly with you, you will also deal kindly with my father's house, and give me a sure sign that you will save alive my father and my mothers, my brothers and sisters, and all who belong to them and deliver our lives from death. So this is her confession she gives the spies after she has hidden them inside of her brothel. She has taken them up to the roof, hid them under flax, and after she has hid, hidden them, she says this. 
And it, it just really gives me chills because you have to think like this is a lot of text to be given to a woman and not only a woman. Let's go back to it again. I keep parking at prostitute because there's a reason. She has 21 lines dedicated to her. So this must be pretty important. This isn't something we just glance over and keep going. She also gives one of the boldest confessions of faith and glory that this side of the Jordan has seen before they move on to conquer. And Rahab knows this to be true because she knows death is coming and she has just been a dead woman walking for so long. And here they've come. Um, but others are, as she says, others' hearts are melting, but they're, they're just sitting in it. They're still, they're still protecting their hearts with these walls that they believe will save them. Um, and so I, I want you, while you're hearing this, to understand, you know, how can God give you life if you don't realize you're dead? You know, how can he come into your heart if you don't even realize that there's a problem to be solved? Um, I, I also like this confession because it's kind of weird. Um, you have someone from the other team, and not even like the other team playing, like if this were football, it's not even the other team. It's like the concession stands guy for the other team who's servicing the other side and is coming into Nick Saban's locker room and giving like the boldest rallying speech. And then they go out and conquer. And it's like, that would never happen. That would never happen. And Nick Saban would never let it happen. But you've got this woman who has no skin in the game. She's not even in the game. She's not even thought of. And she's the one who's going to give Israelites the boldness, the power, and the vision to understand that God's done that. And the only reason Rahab can do this and has the, like, the faith to stand on that is because God has been going before the Israelites. So while the Israelites are wandering in this desert and they're complaining like a bunch of teenagers, like, why did you bring me out here? Because there wasn't enough space to die in Egypt. I mean, it's just like every high schooler talking to their parent. Um, but this is important to know because for 40 years, the whole world has been hearing about what God's been doing in Egypt. And he's been leading them around in like this crazy sort of way. But it's also God showing that he is not bound by place or people. Um, traditionally, gods were thought of as um, geographically bound. And I've said this before, that would be like having a god in Mountain Brook, which we do, Homewood, Vestavia, and all these other places, and they can't go to other ones. And gods could typically do one thing, one thing only. And what God's been showing us is he has no respecter of boundaries, and he is going to hit every single person he can. And it, um, yeah, I mean, there's no place that God can go. So let him in. Come on. He is a gentleman. He will, he will ask to come in. Um, but it also makes me think about how Hannibal the general would come down. Um, kids would go to sleep at night thinking about how Hannibal the general, not the not Lecter, would be coming down the Alps on elephants, and they'd go to sleep at night like so terrified. And that's what's been happening for 40 years. Like God has been preparing their hearts for this moment, the Israelites and the other people as well. And he has been doing all this to specifically come into Jericho and grab Rahab. All these little breadcrumbs are leading to this whore in Jericho, and it's incredible. Um, we're seeing that God is always going out to gather, to bring back in, to tend to his children. And um, so you just better stop running from him, because he's going to get you. Um, and we also learned that help never, ever comes from inside yourself. It never does. Um, nothing within your own strength will save you, and nothing within your own walls can do it.
Um, but this also kind of gives us insight into that sin does separate us from others. When she talks about the family, the family has to come back into her household. And we see that sin does separate us from our loved ones in our, in our ways. And not just in ways of prostitution and owning an end, but in the ways that when we tell white lies or um, we say something wrong about someone else, like these sins are just slowly moving us. So now that we've talked about her repentance, um, her confession of faith, we're going to talk about how she gets delivered through the scarlet cord. Um, so she says, or excuse me, so now the spies, uh, no, nameless spies, keep in mind, <laughs> nameless spies are talking to Rahab, and they say this, Behold, when we come into the land, you shall tie the scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down, and you shall gather into your house your father and your mothers, your brothers, and all your father's household. Then, if anyone goes outside the doors of your house into the streets, his blood shall be on his own head, and we shall be guiltless. And then there's this kind of like negotiation, like back, like them saying, but if you do this, if you do this, you have to do this. And Rahab is just like, so be it. And I love that. I love that. Like they're squirreling down the ones, like they're the ones in what would look like the position of no power. And they're throwing out all these, all these negotiations. And she's like, yes. Um, I think this is put in here again for us to go back to the fact that your sin is not a misstep. It's not just a little slight and, oh, I need to make amends with my husband or my children. It's um, you have spit in the face of Jesus Christ. Every single time you sin, you are telling God, no, this is my terms. And it's a direct assault on the throne of God, which sounds very bleak. <laughs> How do we save it? And that's through Christ. And so we're going to see that with this scarlet cord and this everything that we've been talking about, it's, it's the Passover. We're going to see that the Passover in Exodus 12 is happening again in Joshua 2, which is going to happen again in Joshua 5. And they're going to have so many Passovers to get us to the cross. And we see that, um, and we see this thread. <laughs> see what I did there? We see this thread bridging Rahab all the way to Christ and then Christ to us. And it's just, she's throwing the, she's throwing the cord down for us. She's like that, that beautiful princess with the hair that they climb up. That's, that's, our, that's our buddy Rahab. Um, this is also really important because this is a confession of faith and she has this moment of clarity and she's like, only you can do this. I'm standing on the world's tallest walls and I'm letting you down on a scarlet cord. But this cord is the only thing that's gonna stand between me and utter destruction. Doom is coming to the city, and I'm going to stand behind this cord. Um, massive genocide is about to rip through Jericho. You know, um, I'm not a Hebrew scholar yet, um, so I've listened to Chad Bird talk about this, and he said that the Hebrew word for this cord is called tikva. Probably not saying that correctly either, but he was saying this is the only time in the Old Testament that this word cord is also associated with hope. And um, this is what he says about it. He says, its meaning is it's binding together as a cord, but it's to tarry or to wait for, to look forward to a particular outcome. And so it implies expectation and anticipation. And it also comes with a sense of certainty that something will happen and that we're waiting for. And so here is Rahab waiting for the promise, waiting for the expectation of being saved. And this, and like I just said, Rahab's scarlet cord is going to connect us to Christ and it's going to connect us together as well. But it also lets us know that Christ is our only hope. He is the only way that we are going to make it out of this doomed city alive. 
And so we see with this Passover and how we're going to keep seeing the Passover is that God is always redeeming. He is always seeking us out and he's always closing the gaps between us and him. Um, always, always, always and forever. Um, and we've seen her confess, we've seen her repent, and we're going to see her delivered. She knows it's coming. It's the only thing she can stand on. But we also know that our God is extra and that um, this Passover, this moment with the scarlet cord, is really what the gospel's all about. Um, you know, Tim Keller describes the gospel, and we're going to get this wrong, but you'll, you'll know what I'm saying. You've heard it every time you come here, is um, you are more sinful than you ever dared dream, and you are more loved than you ever dared hope. And that's the gospel, and that's what this cord is. It's connecting us both. It's kind of like the, like the oh shit handle <laughs> where you like buckle in because you're about to hit a tree. It's going to save you. That's delete that go <laughs> okay sorry y'all um but it's also like this you got to remember who Rahab is she is going to be the great grandmother of King David without Rahab you wouldn't get Boaz and you wouldn't get that really great conversation about Ruth and mother-in-law stuff and then you wouldn't get that great connection to Christ Jesus through David I mean David knows a thing or two about lying he um pretended to be crazy to get away from someone else like must run in the family but also um this idea that the, when the Israelites are squirreling down the cord and they're like calling out all these negotiations and she just, she knows that <laughs> I've got to agree with it. It made me think about what am I negotiating with God when I talk about my salvation? I'm like, all right, God, you're good and great, but I'm not going to give up X, Y, Z. Um, I couldn't possibly do that. And it's like, why am I giving these terms of agreement with Christ Jesus when he has done far more than I'm ever giving up. I think of all that Christ emptying himself out so that I could be full. And so when you read through Rahab and when you go home and you have to take a really long nap after this, I want you to think about like what terms of negotiation you have with God um, that's stopping you from surrendering it all to him. And then um, finally, guys, we see that with this cord, it lets us know that there is one way to get to God, and that's through Jesus Christ. I do not want you falling prey to those that say um, your good works will set you free or that um, there's other ways to get to God. I'm spiritual. I don't need other ways. I know how to get there. There is one way, and that is Jesus Christ, and, and that's it. Um, and so the, the chapter ends with these two spies doing exactly what Rahab said to do was go hide in the woods. And so they go hide in the woods, and they come back, and they say this. The two men returned and told Joshua, Truly the Lord has given all the land into our hands, and also all the inhabitants of the land melt away because of us. Um, the victory was in Israelites' hand, but it took someone from outside of what they thought victory would look like to give them the good news. And that's what Christ did with us. He was lowly. He was despised. He was shamed. He was what good could come from Galilee, you know? And here, here he is giving us the good message, the good message of Christ. Um, and so we're going to see that. And in the next couple chapters, we see that God does not leave us just at the Jordan as he did it with the Israelites. He is going to graft Rahab into his fold. Not only is he going to deliver her, he adopts her. And like I said, she goes on to bear the kings. Um, but it's also not the end of her. She's mentioned um, in Hebrews 11 and in James 2. And um, James is written by the brother of Jesus. <laughs> it's kind of a big deal. And so James would kind of know a thing or two about righteous living. He would kind of seen it a little bit. 
And when James talks about faith and works coming together, and he talks about justification and sanctification, he gives two examples. He gives Father Abraham and Rahab the prostitute. Um, I love that. So, this will not be an Advent class without a Tim Keller reference. And a Paul's All one. So I'm going to leave you with this from Paul Zalls, who will deliver us. And I want you to just close your eyes and listen to it. Because this is what happens when you, like Rahab, admit your need to be rescued. So, close your eyes with this one. And it says... A duck hunter was with a friend in the wide open land of southeastern Georgia. Far away on the horizon, he noticed a cloud of smoke. Soon he could hear crackling as the wind shifted. He realized the terrible truth. A brush fire was advancing so fast that they couldn't outrun it. Rifling through his pockets, he soon found what he was looking for, a book of matches. He lit a small fire around the two of them. Soon they were standing in a circle of blackened earth, waiting for the fire to come. They didn't have to wait long. They covered their mouths with handkerchiefs, embraced themselves. The fire came near, and it swept over them. But they were completely unhurt, untouched. The fire would not pass where the fire had already passed. Law was like the brush fire. I cannot escape it. But if I stand in the burnt-over place, not a hair on my head will be singed. Christ's death has disarmed it. The death of Christ is the burnt-over place. Here I huddle, hardly believing, yet relieved. I believe in the atonement. The law is powerless. Christ's death has disarmed it. Thanks be to God, through Jesus Christ, our risen Lord and Savior. Amen. Amen. do y'all have any questions? <laughs> I don't think I gave you any time to breathe, so if you need a breath, need a moment. Um, but yeah, do y'all have any questions? Bueller. Bueller. Cool. Yeah. Um, next week it's going to be Bathsheba, and it's going to be awesome, and um, y'all should definitely tune in for that one. All right. Thanks, y'all. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you'll join us for one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.